2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: So, true story. Perhaps not a story the Jedi will tell you, fellow conspiracy realist. Back in the day, we went on a tour across the northeast part of the United States, and we decided uh, what better to talk about than the conspiracies surrounding the Federal Reserve. That's our classic episode this week.
4: Oh yeah, we're talking about the creature from Jekyll Island. <laughs> Love it! Shout out
3: 1913. This is also, if I recall correctly, this is also the time we were very taken with Hobo Code, and then we were also. Oh, I found we found that uh, Toynbee tile here in Atlanta,
4: yeah. so we just we
3: squeezed that in, too.
4: This is really great, and I honestly can't remember which city this recording is from,
5: mm-hmm.
4: uh, or like when, which whichever one this is from, we had such a great time touring around the Northeast of these good United States talking about the system that kind of controls the money here in a weird way. Uh, we can't wait for you to hear this. We had a great time.
3: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. Oh my gosh. You guys, we did it. We came to our hometown and and, and a crowd showed up to see us live. How are you doing?
4: Yeah? Yeah? It's Sunday.
3: It is all right. We had to check earlier. We have no idea what
0: day it is at yeah, this point. Yeah, it's been a bit of a blur.
3: It's been a bit of a it's been a bit of a blur. But we want to thank you so much for coming out. It is astonishing to us to record in our hometown live. Now we this is this is the last show of our tour, and we saved it for you for Atlanta. I like your hat, by the way, uh, and. We went uh, went to a bunch of places, really. Yeah, we
0: did. Um, My favorite highlight of the tour was having a a lobster roll at a dive bar in uh, (laughs) Boston. Because that's a thing. They're just lousy with lobsters there. And they're all pretty delicious. And then yesterday, I I almost died. I I choked on a bone from a fish um, at a Thai restaurant (laughs) and had a panic attack. But these guys got me through it, and now here I am to be with you fine people.
4: Yeah, we we played a show in Arlington at this old theater, and it was beautiful because all of the seats... like old office chairs that have been just discarded by someone but they just purchased them all or found them on the side of the road and just filled the entire theater with them.
0: And then there were remnants, like there were weird piles of them just in corners yeah. Yeah. and stuff. So. And there were weird tables it looked like we were going to do a meeting
4: for the United Nations
3: or yeah, something.
4: Yeah, yeah. It uh, it's like one of those what, like the Buckhead Theater, I forget, not the Buckhead yeah, Theater, yeah, yeah. it's one of the old like the, the Plaza newer, or something. One of the newer movie theaters that actually has food there too so uh-huh. you're sitting in these seats and ordering Food. It was just an odd experience.
0: <laughs> was it? Was it as odd as the one in um, Boston, where there was a kids parkour class going on outside of our, which was great. For,
4: for real, it was
3: fantastic. Those kids have moves. Yeah, we we tried to hang with them.
5: Yeah,
0: um, they weren't having it. Though, they weren't having know. it. They're but it was like literally, open children. the door to the dressing room, and there's just like these little tiny midget people just zooming by, like parkour, on like parkour, t- parkour, park tires parkour. and like you know bars and stuff. Yeah. It was pretty wild. But they it was did actually good. say parkour while they were doing yeah.
4: things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now we're in a place called Terminal West, which rules. <laughs> uh, do you, do you guys ever come out here to see shows like mm, yeah. music, yeah. awesome live yes. shows? We're, we're on that stage right now. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh,
3: oh, and we're supposed to do a show. That's why we're here, yes. right? Okay. So let's,
4: let's get started. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <clears throat>
4: Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel.
3: And they call me Ben. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. And,
0: and we're joined also by our super producer, uh, Paul, Mission That's right. Paul Mission Control Deccan. Paul
3: Mission Control oh, Deccan. Hey, will you stand up, Paul? Please Come let on. us
0: embarrass you. Yes. This guy Ask makes our guy. show happen. Look at that good boy. This guy yeah. makes our
3: show happen. He uh, we continually cajole him to get on microphone with us. And he did. continually
0: refuses us. I know, yeah. I
4: know, I know. But uh, One day. but then he's he's surrounded by a lot of other house stuff works uh oh, I see you. special okay. people over there. Yeah. I see them.
3: I see some celebrities in the crowd. Can I get your autograph later, guys? I don't want to make it weird, but
0: No, I made it weird. All right.
3: Well, well, yes. Paul Mission Control Deccant. Uh, we're finally back. And we were on the road for a while, and we had these bizarre adventures roaming through New England, roaming through uh, historic places. Every city we have been to, uh, including Atlanta, has has a few things in common, right? There's a, there's a bunch of graffiti everywhere. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, there's a regional Federal Reserve Bank, which...
4: In we, every city we went to. In every single one.
3: And when we were thinking about our show, uh, we... We started, uh, we started brainstorming and we were, we were thinking about hidden things, yes. signs, symbols, secret languages, and we were wondering how they came to be and why and, and what they mean and uh, more so, why do some of the world's most powerful, influential institutions use secret signs, codes, signals, languages every year Every month, every week, every day, Ben, every are you minute. talking
4: about the shadowy organization that operates out of that five sided buildings over near Arlington, Virginia, where we were? that, that has absolutely nothing to do with pentagrams <laughs> I mean I mean there, there are a lot of buildings with five sides
3: I hear it has
0: a subway and a Best Buy um, oh, so, well. you that's know, true they' the branding is part of it as well.
3: Right, right. It's true. Well, you know, Matt, uh, the Pentagon is arguably involved, but that that comes later, I think, right? I will wait then. Do we want to call it foreshadowing? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So we'll call it foreshadowing. So we are hoping that you join us today as we dive into the strange stories of these signs, languages, signals, and symbols that allegedly influence us
0: Everywhere we go. And the institutions are one of them anyway that just loves them. Yes, yeah.
3: yes, absolutely. So, okay, so this is a modern city. Atlanta is a pretty big city. And every time you walk through, any modern city in the US or abroad, we are inundated with literally millions of images, of messages, right? And they're non-consensual. You don't wake up in the morning and agree to see 12,000 billboards. You just have to go do something. And we had a time uh, a while back, Matt, you and I years ago Uh, had a a fool's errand where we said, you know what, we're going to wake up tomorrow, we're going to count every single advertisement that we see during
4: the day. And we, we really did it. And we got to about 200 or so. I think both of us maxed out around that range, 200, 300 range.
3: I gave up at 11.35 a.m. Yeah,
4: it was rough. Um, And and it's just crazy. And a lot of it's logos that are kind of unassuming that you just notice on the side or on somebody's shirt or a hat, sir, awesome shirt. Um, And it could just be as simple as a letter or something like that. Or like if it's a logo, you look at something like, we all know this, the FedEx logo that has that secret arrow in there. Or the Amazon logo that also has a not-so-secret arrow. It's got a it's got
3: a smile that starts at where? Starts at like A. Yeah, and it
4: goes to Z. Let you know you can get everything online. Right. See, that all all you need is a tiny little symbol. That lets you know exactly what something is. And and you don't have to communicate with
0: words beyond that. And the smile just lets you know that everything's cool. Amazon is a completely innocuous organization that just means the best for you and wants you to have goods and services and be able to buy your laundry detergent with the push of a button. It's a fantastic company.
3: 100%. I'm a fan. We're getting those drones for you, says Jeff Bezos. Yeah. But but this, this is weird because it goes beyond advertisements. There is a great deal of money and time spent to create logos that, you know, FedEx has letters in it, right? Amazon also has letters in it, but the parts of our brain that are being engaged when we see these logos are nonverbal things. They're not, they're not the language part of our brain, you know? Uh, what they are instead are uh, imagistic, symbolic things. And
0: We're, they're meant to connect with you like on an emotional, kind of primordial yeah. level.
3: Yeah, 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 absolutely, primal level, and... We thought, how far does this go, right? Yeah right? We've all seen Mad Men or read the Wikipedia entries about it, I'm sure. So, so we know that advertising is historically a huge industry, but the idea of secret symbols, secret signs, secret languages goes far beyond advertising. It predates it. We wanted to find an example for you, and we wanted to start with something that used to be alarmingly, cartoonishly common. It's something you may not have heard of in the modern day. The name sounds a Bit silly, but here we go. It's hobo code.
0: Hobo code. There you go. You got to enunciate it because we had a couple shows yeah. where people didn't know what we were saying. Hobo, hobo.
6: code. Yeah.
0: So uh, here's the thing. The <laughs> it, it, it does sound kind of like it could be like the name of like some kind of prog band's right. concept album or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, some,
3: kind, some kind of like concept EP or something. Mm-hmm. Hobo code. Yeah.
0: But no, it's not. It's actually an entire uh, kind of cryptographic language, mm-hmm. um, and it surrounds the world of, of the hobo, which you may know today as being a bit of a pejorative or something you might say to your you know, significant other if they're not dressed well yeah, or something but it's, like that. It, it's you know?
3: weird. It's an anachronistic. Like, uh, some of us are here with our significant others. If you're ever in a fight with them and you call them a hobo, then they're just like out of the argument. Yeah, they no, don't understand what's going I mean, on. Those are fighting why, words. why
4: would you say that?
3: Yeah, they're like, what year is it? Tim, I apologize if anyone here is named Tim. But the, uh, the idea of this goes back to a part of uh, American history that we don't often talk about outside of maybe middle school, high school, the Great Depression. Uh, the, the world of the hobo, itinerant workers without homes who had to leave their communities due to the fact that there were no means of sustainable employment, this world is often romanticized nowadays. Right? You
0: got, the, you got the, the guy with the, the bindle, the, the, the stick, stick with yeah. the bag and mm-hmm. like the crumpled hat, maybe a pipe or something. Trusty dog. Yeah. Riding the rails. Not a care in the world. Only kind of a lot of cares in the world. Because the world, as it turns out, is a terrifying, terrifying place. Yes. Um, yeah.
4: And they find themselves in that position, not of any real action that they took, perhaps. It's something that was kind of forced on them. If you don't have a home, then this is, this is kind of what you do.
3: And it's a, it's a brutal and demanding existence. And the problem with this is we don't know too much about this community because it was largely an oral tradition. These people weren't buying wings of museums. They weren't financing some sort of scholarship program. You can find some interviews. You can find a couple of books by some uh, intrepid journalists, and you can hear some... uh, I'll say it. Creepy songs that stayed in the American Songbook.
4: They they might actually know Rock Candy Mountain. Oh yeah, yeah. No one up north does. Nobody knows this song. Do, 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 people in this audience know Rock Candy Mountain. Thing, Rock Candy Mountain. Okay. So, yeah. Tell
3: them, tell them. Okay. So there's uh, the the song. The version of it you hear has uh, one verse excised from from what we'll typically play on uh, on a you know blue. Uh, Bluegrass kind of station. Yes, yes. The last verse is, it turns out the entire song is a message from a hobo to a young runaway child. And the last verse is the child saying, I am not going to let you take, what'd you call it, No Hobo? hobo heaven. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, that's what the Big Rock Candy Mountain yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: exactly. Uh, but no, that now, now you make it it makes it sound like hobos were like evil or something. That's not true. No, they were just, just they were just people, which yes, is But kinda, this is this uh, is the story of an evil hobo. But yeah. um yeah, so but the idea is really <laughs> that the Big Rock Candy Mountain is sort of like the thing you have to look forward to in this, you know, hard-fought life is basically the afterlife because that's about the best you're going to get. But in the meantime, before this happens, there were some pretty powerful symbols that were created to help communicate uh, conditions in this community that was known as the Brotherhood of... Yeah, the Brotherhood of the Freight, right? Yeah, exactly. So so
3: you can Google Big Rock Candy Mountain full lyrics, just by the way. We're not going to recite them. But uh, this this message. The system of symbols existed for uh, 500,000 people in the early 1900s. It had spiked to 700,000 by 1911. By the Great Depression, the number exploded, and we reached, uh, we reached something called peak hobo. Yeah,
0: that's the official term.
3: That's, that's yeah. the scientific term. And... While these people were on the rails, living on the fringes of a society that did not want them around, they devised a system that that we would not recognize to communicate with one another and this this system uh, this system was meant to warn other travelers, other people in this brotherhood that you mentioned noel uh, about the conditions of the town they would find or about uh, things that uh, would be beneficial or uh, to be a a system of warnings, right? And it it didn't use words.
4: Yeah, that's, this is highly important because a lot of this population was either illiterate or they were speaking different languages. So there there wasn't a whole lot of common from a language perspective. So it, like, uh, did you call it Hoboglyphs already? <laughs> no, but that is the this, term. <laughs> like hieroglyphics in a way, because it is. It's it's um, you've you've likened it before to the IKEA. Yeah, uh, the
3: IKEA thing. instruction manual, right? Yeah. We've all bought disappointing furniture. Like we, we know <laughs> what that is. You know, there there are no words, those same manuals are uh, printed and distributed across the globe because everyone can get that that awkward humanoid figure and their awkward buddy. Yeah, um, you, don't,
4: one, you don't need words for it, right? That's the whole point
3: of this. And that is the one indisputable concrete remnant of this community, this thing called Hobo Code. Uh, let's, uh, do you guys want to do some examples yeah, of what a Hobo good idea. Code is?
4: Well, so let's say you're going into a new town and you're looking for food, uh, as you may want to do, as we all uh, usually want to do. And there, somebody has come along and found a good free food source from some building or some group of people that lives in an area. So you'd note this to anyone else who comes after you by making a tea. Except it's not just any tea. It's like a box and then another box. It looks similar to Tetris.
3: The good pieces, you know, the long yeah, ones. Yeah,
4: the important ones, you know. <laughs> um, but that's kind of cool. So if you if you note that somewhere in your town, perhaps this means there's a good source of free food there. Well, there was even like
0: a variation of it where I believe it had a cross up on the side, Mm -hmm. which implied that if you talk religion or like kind of act like you're into Jesus, that they will give you free food. So that's That's... another important little tip. Um, We have another one that would warn people about the state of like natural resources, like a water supply Mm -hmm. that may have been like tainted. So that would be a squiggly line with like another line on top and another line on the bottom. And that would let them know to like avoid this well because it will make you uh, intensely ill. Right? Uh, Good stuff to know. Yeah.
4: Need food? Need water? I'm going to give you some warnings just so you know.
0: And the people who lived
3: in these communities would have no idea what these symbols were. I mean, a capital T would just be like, wow, that guy's name must be Tim. Again, I hope no one here is named Tim. And they
0: also, like, it's not like it was um, alarmingly large or, like, printed in some super central place. It would be in a place that these folks would maybe know where to look for them.
4: Yeah. yeah, and kind of temporary, with like chalk or coal or something yeah. that
0: was readily available.
4: And there was, there was a darker
3: side to this as well, because in many cases, perhaps a preponderance of cases, this, these symbols were meant to warn, uh, to warn other travelers of danger. There would be something that looks like a square, but it's turned on a corner, so it's sort of a diamond, and it has one line going up. And that meant, be out of this town by sundown. Be ready to defend yourself. There's no way someone could guess that,
0: right? No, and that's the thing, too, about this language and the way it evolves. It was experiential. So, you know, these folks would have to um, have these experiences Mm -hmm. enough to the point where it would spread, and they would know to look for these symbols, because it wouldn't just happen overnight. Because some of them, you could kind of Ikea it and figure out, oh, I think this is what this means. Mm -hmm. But ones like this were a little bit more um, shrouded and kind of mystery. Mm -hmm.
3: And law enforcement plays a big role. Series of interlocking circles mean handcuffs or law enforcement will put you in a chain gang. I like the point that you bring up here, Noel, because although the term hobo code is very fun to say. Try it at home. Uh, The the reality of this is that this was a language built on tragedy and suffering and blood. And it sounds like a neat historical footnote, but here's the thing. These secret messages exist today. People are still alive. Thousands and thousands of people are riding the rails, are living on the fringes of society, and using new iterations of this code to communicate.
0: So Atlanta's got a pretty yeah. decent train hopping community. If you've ever been to Little Five Points, like right. uh, you see yeah. the folks with like the dogs with the bandanas and mm. stuff. I mean, that's sort of that's like a modern hobo. I'm not kidding. And I, I grew up with kids like that that mm. would hop trains and made a whole way of life around it. And they kind of carry on some of these traditions.
3: Yeah. So does this mean that uh, the world of secret symbols and languages is relegated to people who are maybe burnouts or on the lam or living on the fringes of society? Have we solved it? Is a that-
4: Yes, we have. Okay. And uh, that concludes the show. So Thanks. really, guys, Thanks thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you. It's disappointing. Oh, are we going to keep going?
3: We yeah, we, yeah, okay. we okay. should. We probably should. Uh, but okay. it, it's true. It's not that simple. Uh, secret symbols also exist in the world of art, right? Yes. Uh, we, we explored things in the past like the Toynbee tiles. Oh, Wait, yeah. what, are, what are those, about?
4: They're these weird linoleum art pieces that get pushed into the ground in, in asphalt on streets in mostly Philadelphia and New York and other places like that. And it says Toynbee idea in movie 2001 resurrect dead on Jupiter.
0: Cool. Right. Really cool. There's a couple other flavors of them as well as far as the text, but I mean, but this is the main idea, the Toynbee Toynbee. idea. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean? Yeah.
3: I mean, it's, we don't know, we don't know who makes them. It's, it's, in English, it's using the alphabet. Well, does it mean that Toynbee felt like he was plagiarized by Stanley Kubrick in 2001: Space Odyssey?
0: Was there a Resurrecting of Dead on Jupiter in Space not Odyssey? Not really, not yeah. really. Not in the That's film That's for interpretation. Release, not in the theatrical
3: release. But then there are other works of art like the Codex Seraphinaeus or the... Um,
0: the Vuenich Manuscripts. Yeah,
3: yeah. They're purposely created to have some sort of inscrutable language. And they are known to be works of fiction. So does that mean then that the world of secret signs and symbols is relegated to uh, relatively cerebral works of art or the fringes of mainstream culture?
4: I'm going to say no this time because I feel like (laughs) that's probably a better answer.
0: Yeah, we can move on. We can move forward to the next thing
3: that they're relegated to. Yeah, Yeah, so the world of secret symbols actually goes much, 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 much deeper. In fact, as we all came to Terminal West tonight, we may well have carried some of the world's most famous agglomerations of secret symbols with us in our pockets, in our wallets, in our purses, in our fanny packs. I hear those are making a comeback. I'm
0: a fan of the fanny pack. I mean, it's a utilitarian yet stylish yeah, uh, accessory. Fanny packs. Um, fanny packs. I, I have no problem yeah. with the fanny pack. You can wear it on the side, you can right? wear it on the back, wear it on the front, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So,
3: <laughs> according to numerous critics, the most powerful secret symbols... Are you
0: anti-fanny pack, Matt? What's your problem? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> no,
3: we, we already... Got you a present. Are you going to... Are you serious? It's a Gucci bag, dude. Would, it's a Gucci belt bag. Yeah, it's a, a nice bag. fanny yeah. bag, man.
4: Okay, I would wear, I would wear a would fanny bag. Okay, we'll
3: it's a knockoff, but it looks act really, really good. Yeah, uh-huh. please act surprised.
4: Oh my gosh, you guys. <laughs>
3: okay, no, when we get the fanny bag. <laughs> but, uh, but it does go much deeper uh, because these secret symbols that people argue are, are the most powerful in our world today are on something we and you and your fellow Americans carry with you every single moment, theoretically. And it's a weird thing. It's a really dirty thing. About 40% of it carries traces of fecal matter. Yeah, 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 it's true. But uh, as we are recording this right now, statistically speaking, people are literally murdering one another for a chance to touch it.
0: Why?
3: (laughs) Just you wait, right? Uh, 80% of it carries uh, traces of cocaine. These are both conservative estimates, by the way, despite the fact that possession of this drug carries very harsh consequences. Conspiracy realists, we are talking about by far the most ubiquitous medium for hidden symbols in the Western world. It is the U.S. dollar. Feel free to take one out after you heard the statistics about shit, and uh, and if you have it, check the designs. Yeah, as it smells fine. Story. It smells.
4: Just do you don't have to. Oh my god, dude! Did you not hear the stats a right? minute ago? Are you not paying attention? Sixty percent doesn't contain. Okay, poop. well, okay. I
3: mean, it's better than whatever.
0: I don't know. The math that I heard was like hundred and twenty percent feces and cocaine. Yeah, that so checks out. You right? do. Yeah. You do. You. But I'm gonna. So, yeah.
3: So if you if you've seen the back of a one dollar bill. If you ha- your odds are pretty good uh, uh, as far as not touching poop on balance if you want to hold this with us. Uh, if you've ever seen the back of this bill, uh, one thing will immediately stick out. It's engraved with a gigantic stone pyramid similar to what you would see in Egypt. There's a desert, the whole nine. That's weird. Uh, No,
4: that's so regular. Just a giant pyramid. It's fine. It's fine.
3: Yeah. Pyramids are like a classic move, architecturally (laughs) speaking, right? Dude, yes. But but there's something different about this pyramid, right? Instead of a normal capstone, there's a floating capstone suspended in midair with this all-seeing eye just sort of staring out at you. Kind of like the the Eye of Sauron in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Mystical shit. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's weird. It's just not quite on brand with the U.S. You it know? really does
0: stare right, right at you. And like, it follows you when you move around the room, which is weird considering how small it is.
3: Right, right. <laughs> and this symbol, uh, this symbol has several names. One of the most popular names comes from Christian mythology. It's called the Eye of Providence. And usually, when we are looking into early Christian mythology and folklore, we defer to Matt. So, Matt, oh, okay. uh, not to put you on the spot, but to put okay, you on the spot. Let's do it. In front of a bunch of people, uh, what, what's the eye of providence?
4: Oh well, in this case, we're we're talking about the symbol of a triangle, right? A triangle has three angles to it, three sides. Hmm, What could that mean? It's probably the three aspects of God, right? Father, Son. You can say it with me: Holy Spirit. Why right? does Holy
0: Spirit get two? They should yeah,
4: that was doing the cross. People always it do that. I mean, it's, it's not. It's, fine. it's not your fault. It, it, it's, it's all good. It, it, thanks, it's good for, thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And there's there's this uh, one of the first known appearances of this comes in a painting called the Supper of Emmaus, uh, created by a guy named Caravaggio for the Carthusians in like 1525. Yeah. But it's not. It's not super blatant. Oh, right? this
0: is the one though that uh, yeah. contains the there's rays of light that we talked yeah. about as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, didn't yeah. mention exactly that. Yeah. Emanating from this uh, this triangle. Cool. And this painting is what first featured that in, like, I think it's a reflection through a glass or something. It's pretty subtle, but it's meant to be like this divine light of, of Christ. Uh, somewhat cool. Hidden, Indeed. One might say. Yeah,
3: occluded. <laughs> there we are. Yes. Yeah. So if, if you go even. Further back in history, you will see that this wasn't always called the Eye of Providence. It does have some sort of folkloric precedence, let's say, in Egypt.
4: Oh, yeah, you're talking about the Eye of Horus? I am. A different god? <laughs> Horus, a sky god? I love this um, it was represented by that eye. You've probably seen it before. It Looks like it has uh, some really killer eye shadow going on. <laughs> mm, yeah, you probably seen it's it like before. It's like a smoky eye. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really a, it's, a it's nice like smoky sultry, eye. you know. I learned a lot from my wife uh, about eye shadow. It's important. It's important stuff. Um, but uh, but this this Horus, this god Horus is also sometimes often depicted as a falcon. Uh, yeah, we're live. And, I'm sorry. Well, and you may, you may notice on the other side of the bill that we're going to talk about a little later, uh, there's a big old eagle hanging out.
0: Hmm. You think he's got a name, like an official name in the, in yeah. the uh, parlance of, of this, this symbolism and imagery? What do you well, think? Gregory. You think? Gregory.
3: Gregory. Okay, yeah, that checks out. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so Gregory, the eagle. Mm-hmm. Gregory, the eagle. Let's fast forward to the United States. How did this weird symbol end up on the dollars that we're trading and apparently pooping on every day. Uh, It's it's a weird story. It wasn't always there. The the eye itself was not originally on the dollar. The pyramid and the eye are both part of a much older thing called the Great Seal. Way back in 1776, around July 4th, surprise, uh, Benjamin Franklin and John Adams and a few others were thinking to each other, how do we make these... 13 states look more like more legit, legit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah like how do we we mm-hmm. want to make an impression you know what we should
4: we, we need sh- branding
3: we need branding we should get a stamp you guys like let's stamp some stuff yep. you know and so they came up with this great seal it's approved on what uh june 20th 1782
4: correct and uh, these symbols themselves are supposed to reflect the beliefs of the founding fathers some pretty standard I would say beliefs when you're creating a new country uh, what what are these beliefs uh, independence enlightenment right these are these are important things, but those two ideas have something in common with a lot of movements or a big movement that was occurring around that same time
3: yeah, someone in the audience right now is like. Freemasons. I know it. Oh. I know they were Freemasons. I see. You. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Uh, do, do we, we have it, uh, any Freemasons?
0: It, no. <laughs> isn't your grandpapa a Freemason? No.
4: There was some association with my family. Yes. <laughs> okay. is,
3: that, is that all you can
4: say? Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. We okay. ask him this
3: question every show. I'm cool,
4: uh, though. I'm cool. Yeah? Yeah. Because
3: is Good. it like cop rules? Do you have to tell us that you're a Mason if we ask you? <laughs> All right, moving on. Moving on. So the the front of the seal, as you said, Matt, depicts a bald eagle holding an olive branch in one claw and uh, and arrows in the other. Right? Yep. Peace and war. Uh, cool. I get it. Dichotomies. That's tight. But the uh, <laughs> but. The reverse side, the back of the seal is what shows the pyramid and the eye and the founding fathers said, oh, this represents strength and durability. And they're like, why is the capstone floating? That's weird. And they're like, ah, it's because the pyramid's unfinished because you guys, the nation's unfinished.
0: And they Beautiful. were like,
3: and Benjamin Franklin was probably like, oh, think about it. Because he's totally that type. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, he was kind of an actually kind of dude. He you was know? so yeah, actually. Yeah. That's
3: yeah. like his thing. <laughs> so if you go to the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, those are the people who make these coupons today. If you go to the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, you'll find it's not on the official tour. Have you There's, taken this tour? Yeah. I oh, have, I is, have. It, is, it, is it cool? Yeah, it's dope, man. It's well, like,
0: okay, I yeah. should go.
3: Yeah, you still totally go. Okay. Take a
0: date or something. But like, wh- what, what question do I ask to get like the real line, not, not just the <laughs> official party line? Who do I talk to and what do I say? Yeah, well, if you
3: find one of the employees just sort of hanging out off the record, they're like, I don't
0: know, Subway or Five Guys or whatever. Is it because they're underpaid and they're just willing to dish? So yeah, okay. So yeah, what do they say? And
3: then probably you're you're really good with strangers, so they probably want to talk oh, to man, you. Oh that's very yeah, kind of you.
0: that's true. It's true. So what's what's the unofficial? Oh, okay.
3: Line? So the unofficial stuff is pretty much the party line we discussed earlier. The pyramids meant in some way to symbolize the lasting power of the U.S., similar to the way the pyramids of old withstood the test of time. 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 Yeah. And, and
4: you, know, you know what I found out today? What's that? If you go to the Federal Reserve in Atlanta and you take a tour, it's the Mon- National Monetary Museum. You actually will. They'll give you a bag of money when you leave.
0: Shredded. Uh, yeah, it's shredded, though. That kind of sucks. But that's
4: kind of interesting, right? Yeah,
3: no? Just, All right, You cool. can't, like, piece fact. it. You can't, like, tape we'll back it back
0: to it. together.
4: You would try, but you have to be
3: very good It's probably at really tape.
0: thin shreds. They probably have really solid industrial shredders there. They would have to. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> uh, let us know if you do tape back a dollar and tell us where to bring them, just by the way. Uh, so the actual dollar, the actual dollar, the one you saw, Pyramid, Eagle, all the weird stuff. There's a hidden owl or spider in there as well. it didn't come about until 1935. There's a guy named Henry Wallace, and he is the Secretary of Agriculture, which has nothing to do with anything, uh, <laughs> under President Roosevelt. And he sees a pamphlet on the Great Seal, and we have a, a factually accurate historical reenactment of this. Mm-hmm. He walks up to the President, and he's like, Hey, Rosie boy, you know, I saw this thing about the Great Seal. It's has it got the motto. It's a Novus Ordo Seclorum, New Order of the Ages that's kind of like your thing you know uh, what was he like like in
0: the mafia
3: yeah 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 this version yeah and he's like it's like new deal of the ages this is perfect yeah and
0: then Roosevelt says never call me Rosie boy ever again and then he punches him but he's like but cool idea I like this let's go for it yeah
3: yeah And, and Wallace is like you know we should put that on a coin or something that would be dope people love that kind of thing you know and then Roosevelt they're collectible they're collectible you know they're like the original
0: Pogs but no no, Roosevelt says, I will do you one better, my good sir. And he says, we're going to put it on the most circulated uh, piece of American currency that exists, which is the, the dollar.
4: Yes. In this case, the $1 silver certificate.
3: Right, which means that in 1935, when this thing came out, theoretically on paper and hopefully in practice, you could walk to someone and you could be like, here's the thing, give me this much silver, and they would be like, Well, he's got the certificate, or she's got the certificate. They would give you silver, which was a, a, a big deal, I guess. Yeah,
4: you could, you could kill a lot of werewolves if you had enough dollars. Back Huge in those problem. Days. In it was the a 30s. werewolf
0: epidemic in those yeah. days. It was,
3: it was hard times. That's true. There's a documentary about that, probably. But uh, so, so now the question is there are no more silver certificates, right? At least actionable silver certificates. So, what does this dollar that we've been discussing stand for? Or like, in the real world, what is its value based
4: on? It's a fiat currency. I know everybody in this room knows this, but we're going to talk about it because it's re- we really got to hit it home for, no. for the rest of this episode, okay? Fiat
3: currency is not an automobile. No, I mean, it's no,
4: it's not. Um, beautiful, cute little automobiles. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll often hear people talk about this, how the U.S. dollar is a fiat currency, and that just means uh, that the, what this is worth It's not backed up by any kind of uh, metal or anything like that. It's just, it has value because some authority figure, in this case a government, says that it has value. It's literally a faith rectangle. That's what this is.
3: It's an article of faith. We all agreed, and I don't want to call anybody out, so I'll call all of us out. We all agreed, and continue to agree that this thing is yeah. worth a thing. And yeah. we're like, everybody wants to be cool. Everybody wants to fit in. Someone's like, hey, I have like twenty of these, and we're all like, oh, nice, good job. That's yeah. way better than a Bed Bath and Beyond coupon. You know is what it, I is mean? It, is it though? I, if you are like... has some really cool stuff. They do have some steals. Yeah. They have some buys.
4: If you're like my friend Alex over there, you can gather up like 100, 200,000 of these and they
0: will give you a house. Isn't that crazy? But if you paid in singles. Can you imagine paying for a house with dollars like in a big giant sack? Yes. That would be a baller move, I have to say. They'd have to
3: take it, but they would probably be like, oh, so what drugs do you sell?
0: They'd make a face. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Those dollars would probably be like 90% cocaine.
5: Mm. (laughs) But,
3: But it's imperative and crucial to remember that despite the symbols this bears us currency itself is a symbol of something else the power behind the paper if you will it's it's something that is a boogeyman in so many conspiracy theories ever since its creation it's something we call the us
4: federal reserve ooh and we're going to talk about the federal reserve right after a quick word from our sponsor oh cool
1: in the recent history of documentary filmmaking
5: we <laughs> you
4: We're live. Okay. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So, geez. I keep. Okay. Yeah. yeah all right. That's sorry, my sorry, bad. Sorry, it's really
0: sure hard to my break bad. these habits. You know. Yeah, we yeah. usually we usually do this show like in a Beep. in like a weird shipping cons- container with yeah. no windows. We don't really even know what time of day it is, and we get an electric shock delivered to us by yeah. Paul yeah. when it's time yeah. to break. So we're kind we're of go. like uh, Pavlovian dogs yeah. in, uh, of it's podcasting
3: behaviorism. You know? yeah. Like we're so sure. trained. When we're just hanging out, we take commercial breaks. But we're back. But yeah. we're back. We're back. We're back. Okay. So here's how it started. The U.S. has an incredibly muddy history with the idea of central banks. That's what the Federal Reserve is. A, a central bank is just a financial institution that's supposed to make sure the coupons a country uses will retain the same value they had yesterday and have it in the present day and have something like that tomorrow.
0: Matt, you made a face, but that—that was the train. There's a train, like right up there, and it, okay. it occasionally goes squee. Well, oh, I was trying to focus on what Ben
4: was saying, but yeah, the train freaked me out there a little bit.
3: <laughs> we'll um, go. We'll go look for hobo code later. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, so the Fed, it turns out, is not not the first central bank. In fact, it is the third. It's the third try that our country has made at this, and the um, the first one dates all the way back. To Alexander Hamilton.
4: Alexander Hamilton. You
0: know, I think I figured out why uh, Lin Manuel Miranda decided yeah. to write a musical about Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Because just the cadence of saying that name is, is just fun. perfect. Alexander. Alexander. Oh, Hamilton. it's beautiful. You know, it's just yeah. it's a perfect name for uh, for a musical. It's a yeah, million, and- million things I
4: haven't done. <laughs>
3: And, and, you know, we all recognize Alexander Hamilton from his uh, recent renaissance in uh, the world of musicals. Uh, it turns out he was a real person, actually did some stuff, uh, was the a, was a first secretary of the treasury and was super, was, was super perplexed and worried after the Revolutionary War, uh, which on the other side of the pond they call the American War of Independence... Somebody
0: asked us that earlier. Oh yeah, find that's, the that's the
4: actual. Yeah.
3: What it it call wasn't it? the peasants' uprising. Yeah, that's, that's what, what we they call this. But, uh, but still
0: referred to that probably in some circles. But. Oh sure, sure.
3: And and so Hamilton believed that the U.S. needed some sort of banking authority because otherwise he thought the country would be doomed. It turns out that wars are crazy expensive, you know. And yeah. he envisioned this bank as. Quote, a profit-making institution with private shareholders holding four-fifths of its stock and electing four-fifths of its directors.
0: Was, he, was this was it like Oliver Twist or something? Yeah, <laughs> in, this, in this version he is. Okay, yeah, he's I pretty like much it. Twist. I like yeah. it. Right. This is highly
4: important, though. Let's not lose any of this. A profit-making institution, first of all, and four-fifths of its directors, its stock and directors would be private shareholders, four-fifths. That's a lot of private interest in this right. giant profit-making bank. Okay.
3: That, that means, I mean, that is important, Matt. That means that uh, only 20% of the steering wheel. And they would have no idea what a steering wheel is. Let's just be clear. It means like 20% of the steering wheel uh, belongs to the country affected by this concept. And so we would imagine that Hamilton and co had to come up with a really good pitch for this, right? They were like, we need a name, like a real banger name. It's the, it's the first, uh, it's the first central bank of the U S it's the first bank, first bank, first bank.
4: How about the first bank? Oh, shit. Great
3: idea, right?
0: Dropping the mic. No. <laughs> and,
3: and so they were like, that's the best.
0: That's the best. A burst of creativity. Well, I mean, it's descriptive, you know. I mean, I yeah. think it's, they were just trying to be utilitarian with their naming <laughs> conventions. And we'll see this carry on throughout the story. Yeah. But there were um, people who opposed sure. this idea. We yeah. had Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. They were super against it. But despite their um, outrage, uh, it was past, it was created in 1791. Congress granted the Bank of the United States, the first bank, a 20-year charter. Mm-hmm. And every, just to try it out. Just to try it out. Just, just give just, it a go. Just 20. That's, that's just fine. Just 20. That's not a commitment, right? 20 yeah, so, years.
4: So then the bank's charter comes up, right?
3: Yeah, in 1811. But this time, James Madison is president. This guy knows how to hold a grudge. He says, no way, not happening. I'm in charge now. I don't know what a steering wheel is, but I'm probably at it. And uh, we're not going to extend this bank. We are firing the bank. Critics were on his side. They said this was, uh, this was injurious to economic growth. It was holding the nation back. But there's something else this that, is crazy. that you won't find with a lot unless you dig into it a little bit. Remember how we talked earlier about four-fifths of the first bank being held by private of that, Of that 80%, Two thirds of the bank was owned by private British ins- it, it, British interests. Yeah, like I'm stuttering a little because it's weird, right? It's
4: like that's crazy.
3: Like imagine it's like imagine you get divorced with uh, from someone and you're like, you know, we've we've gotten divorced. Uh, we should get a credit card. You know? Yeah, joint bank account. Here, yeah. here's the
0: keys to my house, and yeah. uh, and you can you know have like three fifths of my cat. That yeah. sounds you know? great. Yeah, Let's do it.
3: What a plan, right? Uh, and That's
4: mind-blowing to me. I had never <laughs> known that ever before. Um, and it makes sense because a lot of the money was, was in British hands at this time, mm-hmm. right? But still, to allow it to occur seems atrocious. Well,
3: that's and, just me, maybe. And this continues for uh, about a year. In 1812, uh, something occurs with a, another very creative name.
4: Oh, the War of 1812. Right.
3: Yeah, it was a war. And they were like, what do we call it? Uh, so in 1812, President Madison changes his mind. And he says, I might not fully agree with this thing, but we need something. We need something.
0: Well, it was because things had been relatively chill. And, the, you know, the, uh, there was peace time. And it was like, you know, we don't need this bank. We're mm-hmm. fine without it. And then almost as though there were a pattern, war flares up again. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, shit, we got to figure out how to finance this. It's almost as though we need some kind of central bank. Yeah. So we'll
3: we'll make another one. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's what they do. And they say, we can only imagine, they say, well, that was kind of, that was kind of dry the first run. That was kind of, it's weird that war turns out to be expensive. You don't really get a price break. Who knew? And uh, they're like, we need a better name though. We need a name that will inspire uh, creativity, ambition, Entrepreneurship. The
4: second bank.
0: That's it. That's it. So, in a burst of creativity, they're like, "Let's call it the second bank." Yeah, and you know what you're getting. You know, it's yeah. This, it's, yeah.
4: Like, yeah. It's, it's what it says on try.
6: the
3: tin, right? This lasts till 1832. President Andrew Jackson is in office, and he's like, no, this is malarkey. I'm done with it. We're out of this. As a result, the U.S. had no central bank from the mid-1830s to 1913, and during this time, numerous terrible, terrible things occurred.
4: Yeah, there were just crashes all over the place. Uh, We don't even have to ramble them off, but it's like 1873, 1884, 1893, 1901, 1903. And then this thing happens in 1907 called the Panic of 1907, which would lead to um, some serious, serious problems.
3: Yeah, it was was sort of the the feather on the financial camel's back, and the government... Uh, the people in the government looked around at each other, and they were like, "Harrumph, harrumph, harrumph! Something must be done. Harrumph, harrumph, harumph. And as so often happens in American politics, everyone could agree there was a problem. No one could agree how to solve it. And they all hated each other.
4: That doesn't sound familiar at all.
3: <laughs> right. Right? So it wasn't even a matter of calling one party corrupt or one group corrupt. It, wasn't, it was a matter of which pocket you were in. And they're like, well, you're in the pocket of special interest. Well, you're in the pocket of those fat cats on Wall Street. Well, I don't know which pocket you're in, but screw that pocket, you yeah. know? Yeah,
0: and this also trickled down to, like, you know, the citizenship. I mean, mm-hmm. people distrusted these fat cat bankers, as you mm-hmm. refer to them, mm-hmm. um, a lot. And it was just, there was no support for this kind of situation.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The years leading up to this, like we've, we've seen political satire cartoons in the New Yorker and stuff back then they were insane. They were not subtle. There was again, like this, this top hat monocled cane sword wielding banker guy coming out to Midwest America, putting his hand wrist deep in a baby's mouth, pulling out food. And people were like, what could be done?
4: Yeah. Um, don't Google those propaganda campaigns, okay? They're, Just don't.
3: They're pretty racist. And there were, there were also, there were also um, crazy protests, public outcry. What are we going to do? You know what I mean? The 1930s sees the rise of a very serious progressive movement It's often ignored in history books today. But even more importantly, the same captains of industry, the same political titans who in public hated and vilified one another were meeting behind the scenes away from the public eye and just a little bit, just a little bit of a quieter pitch, they were going, harumph, for harumph, something must be done. Harumph, harumph, harumph.
0: But we should maybe, like, do it so that it, 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 it lines our pockets and our, our political cronies' pockets and our uh, banking bro buddy Right. Pockets, Because we're all in a pocket, right? Yeah, everyone's in a pocket. What's we're we're very very the metaphor we're yeah. sticking with for the rest yeah. of the show. So a guy named, uh, this is an important character in the story, a guy named Senator Nelson Aldrich in 1908. Um, he uh, gathered a group of said banking bros and political cronies, uh, and he called it the National Monetary Commission. And the idea was to study... Um, potential economic reforms, reforms to the financial system.
4: And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Sure. Something must be done. Okay, let's take some action. Let's, let's bring private and public interests together and figure out what needs to be done. A noble, a noble pursuit.
3: There we go. Yeah, chin up, right? And so for two years, the National Monetary Commission in, uh, investigates this idea of central banks in another country. How do you replicate that? How do, I don't want to be too divisive yet and say, I think they were like, how do you make money off this? As Noel was saying, in November of 1910, two years later, uh, Senator Nelson, we'll just call him by his first name for now. It'll come into play na- later. Nelson, uh, Nelson is in the midst of financial disaster. People are literally starving. And uh, he says, you know what? I know it's a, I'm a senator and it's my job to take care of the American public. But I'm gonna take some me time, you know. Like I'm gonna like. When's the last time you just traveled for fun? I'm gonna take a field trip. And this wasn't widely reported in the papers of the time. The few reporters who did bother to ask uh, were told that he was going on a duck hunt, not the Nintendo game that wasn't around. Oh. He was going, He was like, "Yeah, the country's bur-. they're like the country's burning down," and he's like, "Yeah, but you know, like mallards, they just yeah. get to me." I just- as
4: long as he had that dog, I mean. That's fine, right?
0: That
3: dog was an asshole, man. That guy. You can uh, control it with a second player controller. What? You know that, yeah. Right? yeah. How is oh, no, you ha- can control the ducks. The dog just shows up like Clippy in Microsoft. The wait, dog's wait, wait, just wait, the a dick. Wait, Don't control worry about the, the ducks
0: dog. with the second controller. Are you yes. We should do a show about this. We should do a Nintendo conspiracy show. We should play it, too. But, <laughs> but, but, but for now, we're talking about an actual duck hunt, or you know, at least the, uh, the notion of an actual duck so hunt. So right? where is he conducting this duck so, hunt? So uh, you guys have heard of a place called Jekyll Island. Have you guys heard of this place? Has anybody Anyone? been? We're in I, Georgia. I went once. You went? Well, I I didn't hang
3: out there. I I can't get in and hang
0: out. What do you mean? You just like we're doing like recon? You were just like checking it out, like peeking through the I was in the area the, the hedge maze. Like,
3: <laughs> I was in the area. This okay. is a different show, but but so, Jekyll Island. What's if, that?
0: If you're not familiar with Jekyll Island, it is still and certainly was even more so then um, an incredibly opulent getaway for the super 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 one percent of the one percent of the one percent rich uh, to you know go do their things and maybe have secret meetings and uh, pretend duck hunts.
6: Well, well,
3: Okay, so in their defense, by the way, Nelson takes five of his buddies, which we'll get to. In their defense, uh, this was not an obviously fake cover story. There is a duck hunting season. It starts in November around this time. It stops for a little bit. It resumes from December to January. So, uh, maybe they were. Maybe they were hunting ducks. Maybe they were.
4: In the end, it doesn't matter.
3: Right, right. So these, his five buddies, it turns out, surprise, surprise. I hope this is not a Shyamalan move for everybody. It turns out that they were very prominent in the world of private banking, and they were very active in the thing Noel mentioned earlier, the National Monetary Commission. And despite the fact that these fellows had enormous power here in the U.S. and abroad, they were afraid to be seen. Hanging out with each other, so one by so Nelson Aldrich hooks up this really sick customized rail car. Like it's it's got mahogany, it's got chrome, it's very uh, it's flashy. And uh, he he, uh, he decides the best way to hide it is to hook it up to a train in New Jersey. And one by one, these prominent titans and captains of industry sneak onto the train, uh, not not using their names. Because
0: I think they had they had to have at least like one servant. I think they definitely pared down yeah. the staff. Which the was situation. big.
3: That was huge for them. Right. Yeah. But the
0: whole thing, they had to use only their first name because mm-hmm. they wanted to maintain some level of anonymity. Um, so who's
3: in there? Yeah. yeah.
0: So under cover of night, one at a time, these guys sneak into this rail car. We've got Frank Vanderlip of National City Bank, Henry Davison of Morgan Bank. Uh, we've got Paul Warburg mm-hmm. of the Kuhn Loeb Investment House. These are all names that uh, stick around to this day and mm-hmm. companies that have gone through various name changes but are still basically doing the same thing. We've got uh, A. Piot Andrews from earlier, who was uh, then the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury Department, and we also have Arthur B. Shelton, who was the Secretary of that National Monetary Commission that was kind of doing some of the legwork that mm-hmm. led up to this meeting. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they may have actually hunted ducks, but on the way,
3: they, uh, by the time they were done, they had discussed and formulated a plan in secret uh, to create another central bank. And we're like, ah, the two times, that's a gimme, but hey, lucky number three, right? Yeah. right? And uh, we've got a question, why, why was this meeting held in
4: secret? Well, the biggest thing is that they knew, and we've kind of just touched on it, but they knew that if word got out that they were trying to present this kind of idea from both the private and public side. The, the House of Representatives, the people that actually represented the public of the United States, would absolutely shut this thing down before it even became a thing, mm-hmm. right? So they they had to keep it as secret as possible, and then we're going to find out a little later because uh, it does happen, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> the way they got it passed was a little... <clears right, <clears
3: <throat> right. Well, I mean, it makes sense. It, it was associated... Any Anything associated with fact... Uh, wait, okay, I gotta stop. Alright, so... I've been using the phrase "fat cat" a lot tonight, uh, and I want to apologize. Uh, I do have a fat cat at home, uh, and I don't want to be disrespectful. His name is Mr. Jackpots. I will show you pictures on Instagram after the show,
0: if you wish. So you should come up with a new word, then, so you're kind of like not not throwing your 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 sweet boys under the bus. Yeah,
3: Uh, big feline. I don't know. We just we invested too much time. Just like uh, anti-fat cat prejudice, right? There we are. So it's true though, Matt. Like they knew that this would immediately be dead in the water. And that is why they held this meeting in secret. But holding this meeting in secret in 1910, uh, this results in a breeding ground for speculation, right? Rumor metastasizes, it becomes conspiracy theory because no one knows what's going on. But since we have decided to be here tonight, we won't be conspiracy theorists, let's be conspiracy realists. And that means that we can't believe or accept a bunch of speculation without fact. So here's a fact for you. This is a fact we found. Uh, These guys did not admit that this meeting ever happened for years and years and years. It was not until the 1930s in the Depression where, where, where like one or two of them said, uh, yeah, I mean...
4: This thing happened. We didn't really
3: hunt ducks. That was just... We thought it sounded cool, but...
0: Yeah, and they called themselves the First Names Club, like we mentioned. So by the end of that time on Jekyll Island, Aldrich and all his, uh, his guys had developed this plan for a Reserve Association of America, which would be a single central bank with branches across the country. Uh, and then on December 23rd of 1913, Woodrow Wilson uh, agreed. He signed the Federal Reserve into existence.
3: Yeah, yeah, and this was uh, it's December 23rd. Yeah. It's a tricky thing. A lot, of, uh, a lot of legislators are at home with their families or back in their home state. And there's a tricky thing here. So they said the federal reserve banks, the regional reserve banks, like the one that's here, uh, would be owned not by individuals, but by commercial banks. So this, this means that there's not, like, um, like, you look responsible, but you can't go buy a regional reserve bank, and I'm sorry that you had to learn it here. But, sorry, dude, I'm but sorry. Neither can I, let's not, let's not feel bad, but the, uh, the thing is, these banks would be coordinated by a committee that's kind of, sort of, appointed by the president, but not Yeah, they not get a really. list, right, that's yeah. kind of
4: the idea, just slide a list across the table, and be like, just pick, like, seven, cool, all right,
3: cool. Yeah. So, so then it goes to, who really owns this thing? Who owns this gargantuan thing? Uh, the officials governing parts of the system can own interest in particular commercial banks, but no one officially actually owns those shit-riddled dollars that we all just robbed at the beginning of the show. Uh, in fact, the Fed considers itself independent.
4: Oh, yeah, this is, uh, this is important. Uh, and this... It's mind-blowing, okay? And I'm trying really hard not to just be infuriated throughout this entire show. I have been during every show that we've done so far in this. Okay. The Federal Reserve says, The terms of the members of the Board of Governors span multiple presidential and congressional terms. Now, when you hear this at face value, you could say, Oh, this is very reassuring. This means that no matter who's in the White House, no matter how much I like him or her, uh, no matter how long they are in the White House, no matter which Senator or House of Representatives uh, person gets elected, my money is safe with the Federal Reserve. That sounds lovely.
3: Uh, uh, (laughs) yeah, I hate to ah you hear, but ah, that's also kind of terrifying, isn't it? Because what they're all to, you know, another way to look at it is they're saying, no matter who you vote for, no matter who's
0: in charge, we're in charge of the money. Yeah. Like, you know, you can vote. That's cute. Yeah, uh, there was a quote from Alan Greenspan, who is the chairman of the Fed, you've heard of. Um, He said something to the effect of, there is no government body, there is no elected official that can do anything about any of the decisions we make. He just very brazenly said that out loud. And like, (laughs) yeah, so... That's, that's the vibe that we're working with, with the Fed here.
3: It's meant to be reassuring. So officially, this system is a bulwark, right? That's what it provides. It stabilizes these uh, faith rectangles. <laughs> I love that yeah. phrase. Thank you for me. That, Matt made that one. That was great. And uh, it, it stabilizes the dollar against the ups and downs of the uncaring, chaotic, ridiculous, horrible place that we live in. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what you would believe, it was created without the consent of the American public. No one voted on it. No one can vote on it. It is also arguably one of the most powerful financial institutions in the world. Pyramid, lidless eye, creepy Latin catchphrases, the whole nine.
4: Yeah, and... Uh, oh, man, I'm just going gonna, gonna to bring it back to this. In the more than 100 years following its creation, more and more people are asking... Is there more to this story? Is it just uh, this organization that exists outside of the control of the voting people of the United States? Or is it more sinister?
1: In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx.
3: Here's where it gets crazy.
4: Yes! I love it when he does that. I love it.
3: Well, it's true. It's true. We're going into crazy territory now, so I hope you're comfortable because maybe you'll be uncomfortable at the end of this. The the most popular, most prevalent, most prominent conspiracy theory about the Federal Reserve is that rather than mitigating or preventing financial disaster, the Fed creates... Financial catastrophe to uh, it manipulates the money supply for the benefit of member banks and most importantly, the shareholders or the owners of those member banks. So no one can own a regional reserve bank, but anyone can buy shares in a commercial bank. It's just a question of how many you own, and and this this argument. Uh, This argument proposes that we, the public, are taught that financial disasters occur through two things, accident or incompetence.
4: Subprime loans. (laughs) Right? Right.
3: And the, the, the argument is that the opposite is the case. And this is a really weird one to us because it unites people across a political divide.
4: Yeah, it really does. By the way, we've been on the road a lot. Has something been happening with the stock market? We haven't exactly been keeping up, but I just noticed all the lines were red when I looked at my phone earlier. Everything's okay? We're all okay? We still.
0: My mom sent me a text about it and said that my inheritance was dwindling away as we oh. speak. So, yeah, I'm going to have to make this podcast game really, really, really work. We've
3: got to stick with it. Yeah. It's, it's weird, though, because this is um, this is a conspiratorial, belief that unites people on either side of the sort of circusy political dichotomy. And you will find people who consider themselves libertarians. And they're like, yeah, I read in the Fed. That's messed up. But then there are people on the far left who are like, you know, eat the rich, screw the Fed. Let's just get rid of it. And they're like, you know what? You're right. Once again, everyone can agree that there is a problem. No one can agree how to solve it. Harumph, 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 harumph. The most famous stories or conspiratorial beliefs about the Federal Reserve come from a specific book.
4: Yes, it's called The Creature from Jekyll Island by this author named uh, G. Edward Griffin.
0: Like a, like a Black Lagoon kind of situation? Or what's, yes. No. Well, oh, the creature is the Fed. I get it. I yes, get it it got was it. created it's like in a, that meeting
4: yeah. and it mm-hmm. emerged and then it got on that rail car and it headed back towards New York. I'm just am making all of that up, but I, was I can good. imagine I was it. Into it. I can imagine it. So uh, he considers the Federal Reserve more than just this simple tool to uh, control Americans via debt. We're not controlled by debt. We're fine. Nobody has any student loans or mortgages here. No, we're good. We're <laughs> oh. good. Oh, oh Matt, right,
3: Ben, Matt, my 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 girlfriend is here tonight. Hey, Brandy. Can everybody say Hey, Brandy? Oh, uh-huh. hey, Brandy. <laughs> hey, uh, and uh, and we've had some tension. Because uh, my my primary girlfriend is Sally Mae. Oh, who's
0: accustomed to a certain light. Oh, I'm going to pay for that. Why is <laughs> not Sally Mae anymore? It's something called Navient. Ugh. Yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden it's like it's not Sally anymore. Now it's yeah. now it's and yeah. I guess I have no choice but to pay Naviant now. But right. I, you know.
3: Right, and the idea with uh, Creature from Jekyll Island is that this this practice has been expanded and franchised out to other countries and that the Federal Reserve is using the practice of uh, deceiving people through chicanery, which we looked up earlier. Yeah, yeah. it's a new word for us. Yeah, uh, is deceiving people or state actors uh, to fall into debt and then using that to using that debt to control the actions of those countries. But he's got a lot of critics. Griffin has a ton of critics.
0: Well, Wouldn't that kind of be the way um, that the uh, British interests that you know were part of the original First Bank or whatever mm-hmm. could have potentially exercised that kind of control Ooh. back over the colonies, right, by having that mm-hmm. much of a stake in the First Bank? Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, that I means it's possible. The, the problem that we're running into here... Is that G. Edward Griffin took Shh, that? the train.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go
4: ahead. I gotta make a tea. There's some delicious food here. Or there was, <laughs> I guess they stopped serving in it. Oh, dang. Wait, what's the, um, what's,
3: what's the beef though?
4: Uh, oh, yeah, the beef is, let me just recalibrate here. He took, he took the pearl that's at the center of the oyster of that, that 1910 secret meeting, mm. and then he created a whole bunch of stuff around it um, that he kind It's not necessarily pulling out of thin air, but he's creating a conspiracy from that real thing.
3: He's engaging it's, in some what Yeah,
4: it's dangerous. It's, it's dangerous. I'm going to get off my soapbox. Let's keep going with the show. Do you
0: want a soapbox? Or no, no, it's fine. You sure? It's Let's just a dangerous Let's thing. Matt's, Matt's soapbox is a segment that we will have. Yeah. Later in the it just game.
4: happens a lot <laughs> these days where there is this one little grain of truth, which is mm-hmm. on this show, it's what we try and do. We find that grain of truth, right? Mm-hmm. That's the most interesting thing for me personally. And this guy did that, but then he just kept going down a rabbit hole. And he wrote this book that is fascinating but a lot of it probably is in... It's just not factual.
3: And the most, one of the most salient questions that you get from this book, if you, if you read it, is uh, the essential thing, the gist boils down to this. Could someone actively, purposefully, and successfully manipulate something as gargantuan as the U.S. economy, and therefore, you know, the international economy? The answer to that is, yeah... Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, to a scary degree. Like, think of Warren Buffett; he
0: yeah. could
3: he could tweet today and sink a company. You That's know? true.
0: Yeah, or you got like Jeff Bezos Ooh. or Carlos Slim, Halu, or any of these other profoundly disgustingly rich human people mm-hmm. that can, like you said, just by communicating their intent to do something mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, their uh, some kind of diversification that might happen, it can change the entire course of at least segments of the economy.
3: Yeah, and that's the question, though. The question then is, does it mean that the Fed could do the same thing? The Fed is a group of People And there are multiple avenues of oversight. And I'm not going to presume to know about your friends, but have you ever tried to order pizza with a group of eight or more people? It gets really nasty really quickly. Yeah. And, and that's just pizza. That's just like the argument over whether or not someone likes pepperoni or is gluten-free. <laughs> and this is, this is talking about one of the most important financial instruments in the world – so it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to digest it. But, but we, found another, we found another conspiracy theory. This is, I, I would say this is like my second favorite.
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, is a, this is a great one. We've done an episode <laughs> that kind of touched on this before in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about, Noel, the, whether or not there's British control over their former colonies still.
3: Yeah, the idea is that, okay, so in this one, the Federal Reserve is now a foreign banking institution, is controlled by the British, and the British are still super pissed about the Revolutionary War. It's like their main thing. They're like, we have a lot of problems, but damn it, it's time to go back, you know, and someone's like, hey, maybe we should fix unemployment. Hey, maybe we should look at immigration. And then, like, the queen turns around in a swivel chair and is like, no, let's be weird.
4: Bring me back my colonies.
3: <laughs> and in this in this idea, it goes a step further, and they'll say, "Oh no 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 Matt, no Ben, Mission Control, this is not a matter of the Queen. It's a matter of the true power behind the throne in the in the world of the United Kingdom. It is the Rothschild family. You knew they were going to be here at some point.
4: It's yeah. There are a lot of just the the." The targets that are aimed at with a lot of these conspiracies, Mm -hmm. the Federal Reserve, the Rothschilds, Britain, Uh, we're hitting them all tonight. It's a real just doing the hits, folks.
3: We had a uh, Rothschild, actually, or someone said they were Rothschild in a, a few cities ago, but, yeah. but but who are the Rothschilds?:
0: Yeah, so it was a, a huge, influential family that is a very old family as well, founded by Mayor Armshell Rothschild, and they amassed enormous amounts of wealth in multiple areas, segments including uh, finance, of course, but also um, over the generations they've diversified in a, in a very big way. They're active in wine and like technology, mining, the bond market, arms trade, just about anything you can think of. They probably got their hands in it in one. I mean, it's a huge family as well. And they're so diversified and spread out with the various members of the family. It's almost tough to kind of trace the money yeah. and cool. understand exactly yeah. how much the entire family is worth in, and in, how much influence they wield.
4: Exactly, and this is, a, this is a huge deal. My dad is in the audience tonight, and he was an accountant at this private club for a while, and he can tell you the difference between old money and new money, and mm-hmm. with, with old money, it's all of these, it's just a tiered uh, succession of, of inheriting fortunes and each one just then becomes another fortune. And then the fortune just spreads out to this point where you go, Oh yeah, I'll join that club for $50,000. No problem. And that kind of wealth is, it, it's, it's intense.
3: And then, but this goes back to the same question. This presumes that this family this large influential family somehow cooperates and moves in unison like what happens they get together once a year and they're like oh what's our what's our weird thing gonna be this time you know mm-hmm. I, I i doubt i don't know your relatives but i i have never been that cooperative with my own again that pizza example comes from it yeah, was place. like
0: utter financial control of an entire country's monetary system on the table for you and your family
3: I mean, you, <laughs> no, might, you no, might figure no. it out.
0: You might figure it I out. Mean, Make we, some concessions. We you could know? maybe swing Tennessee, but that's it. You
3: know? <laughs> but but this, this is interesting because there's a paradox in this idea. There's a bit of double thing, right? The same people who say, oh, the UK wants to control the US because they are still, again, for some reason, cartoonishly pissed about the Revolutionary War. Uh, they will also say, but the United Kingdom doesn 't really control itself it 's owned by this elite banking cabal and they 're the ones who are really who are really making the decisions and that sort of invalidates the beginning of their idea that means that this in this conspiracy it 's really an economic proxy war between like one family and then maybe a couple of families here in the us it doesn 't make sense but the Rothschild family shows up in so many of these stories so many pieces of this folklore tradition we have a uh, we have one that we found that we, we really enjoy and it doesn't take place on land. It does feature the Rothschilds. Uh, it takes place at sea.
0: Can we barbershop quartet this one? Or, yeah, let's no, go it. trio? Conspiracy at sea. Conspiracy. Conspiracy at sea. Conspiracy. Matt! You have a beautiful singing voice. I, just, I, I, was not prepared. I did not prepare them for that. Yeah. I just totally pulled that out, and you guys really did a good job. Thank you for humoring yeah, me thank on you. that. Conspiracy. That's, Whoa.
3: <laughs> Drop the beat. That's conspiracy with an S-E-A
0: at the end, and by the way. Yeah, and we're not talking about the conspiracy cruise, which is apparently a thing. It's a real it's thing. Real. Yeah, we, we've real never thing. been invited to participate on that. But we'll we're there. talking about um, something else entirely. So there's this even more bonkers, in my opinion, conspiracy theory that the Rothschild family... Uh, in league with their banking crony and uh, federal reserve cheerleader j P Morgan was directly responsible for sinking a supposedly unsinkable ship. you may have seen a, a film about with the heart of the ocean and the the, the, the hands on the the, the, yeah. the the steamy window and the New drawings, and you love that. Film. Well, I, I, I've really in this tour come to realize <laughs> that I saw that movie like ten times when it came out in theaters when I was like you know eleven or something, and I was like, why did I? Why did eleven year old me like that movie so much? And we've traced it back to to the the new drawings. Yeah, it was the painting know. scene. Someone called called you out. <laughs> yeah, somebody in the audience <laughs> called me out, and it's like you know what? That's that's yeah. pretty much accurate. Although it is a beautiful love story. Although it doesn't make sense though. Why didn't she make room for dude? Well, okay, whoa, on the, whoa, whoa, whoa! I
3: said that like a million. A times. Yeah. That's my main beat with it. <laughs> she's just At like this out, yeah, you know. She's hogging the door. <laughs> she lets Leonardo DiCaprio go. And let's be honest, he's not a super big guy. He could have fit on there. And uh, I feel like she was just looking for a convenient end to a romance. Or, I'm going to say it. She or, ghosted.
0: She ghosted on him. Or James Cameron was looking for a convenient plot device uh, is my yeah. argument there. I mean, how
3: well
5: did doors flow?
3: What Whatever. about that old
5: couple, though? You what? remember? No no it's okay. been a while
3: okay so remember. hey Noel what ship are we
0: talking about you, you, the, the Titanic the, the RMS <laughs> Titanic that's the full proper name so um if proved to be, be true this thing we're, we're about to enter the realm of wild speculation that's what this segment of the show okay. is called uh, it's called the realm of wild speculation aka conspiracy at sea um so if proved to be true this would surely go down in history as like one of the most batshit heavy handed or possibly genius assassinations in the history of the world so uh, Let's let's jump let's jump right in let's do it yeah um, let's wade into these icy waters <laughs> let's dive in. Yeah, exactly. So J.P. Morgan & Co. Uh, financed the International Mercantile Marine Company, um, which was an Atlantic shipping company that kind of strong-armed its way into dominance in this industry by, you know, doing what these kind of companies do, absorbing some smaller, weaker shipping companies from America and Britain. Um, one of the IMCC's subsidiaries was a company called the White Star Line, which owned the RMS Titanic. Ooh. So uh, Morgan himself was actually booked to be on this doomed maiden voyage, but he canceled at the last minute, citing like tummy troubles or something. He I had don't know a he, sore he, he wasn't feeling well. He was unwell. <laughs> yes, it's, it's really sad. Um, but you know, fortunately or unfortunately for them, um, there were plenty of captains of industry and uh, the, your fat cats been on this ship because Matt, you did a good job of describing this in the kind of context of this particular. Idea, You could look at this thing As like a giant honey trap For yeah. the affluent Let's get them all here Get them all in one place And then we'll take them out
4: Yeah, if we're going to go along with this conspiracy theory, which is kind of ridiculous on the face of it, but if we go along with it, uh, we're we're already there in the speculation part, but if we go along with it, this kind of could be a perfect trap because you're going to have a lot of the people that you may want to target that don't hold the same beliefs about financial systems, you might get them on this ship. You actually have a pretty good chance of doing that just because it was such a spectacle at the time and the people that you're targeting are some of the most opulent, and they want to do things like be on a Titanic. Okay. Oh, okay. Let's just put that out there. Yeah, it could be a good trap. But okay, okay, So,
3: so I, I'm I'm sensing some uh, sinister stuff here, Noel. Uh, who? who were they targeting? Were they targeting specific people?
0: Well, I mean, there there are the three main ones that are mentioned in the stuff that uh, I've read about this story, but like mm-hmm. you said, Matt, I mean, it was an absolute playground of, of the rich and powerful. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think if if there is any truth to this at all, it would be include people outside of this set. But we have Benjamin Guggenheim, who uh, made a fortune in mining and smelting operations, Isidore Strauss, who was the co-owner of Macy's and also a, a powerful politician and a businessman, and then John, John Jacob, Jacob Astor IV uh, of the Astor family, which is one of the most powerful and wealthy families of the 19th and 20th centuries. He was a builder, a real estate tycoon, an investor, you name it. Um, so these are the three that are cited. One thing that they have in common in everything we read about this is the that they were against the Federal Reserve They did not want this to happen And they had enough clout um, And street cred to possibly Throw their weight around and maybe stand in the way Of this happening
4: Yeah, and then um, all Morgan had to do Is just strategically place that iceberg and, uh, It was you know, right ahead Done, we're good now
0: Yeah
3: so, so, what, what? How does this all shake out?
0: Well, it's speculated wildly, mind you, uh, that one of, of the things that these guys had in common, like we said, was opposition to the Federal Reserve. I've also seen it as opposition to the income tax, mm-hmm. but um, those things are kind of conflated in this story. Um, but the ship sank uh, in April of 1912, and the Fed was formed the very next year. So this, here's the thing, though. This proved to be financially disastrous for uh, Morgan's company, the IMCC. Um, The company filed for bankruptcy protection in 1915. Um, So why would J.P. Morgan ruin his own company by sinking this unsinkable ship? And how would he even do it? Because the arguments that I've seen were, like, he had to have influenced the, the... captain of the yes. ship to, like, right. mess up. And, um, you know, there's also stories about how there weren't enough lifeboats, mm-hmm. that this thing was doomed to begin with. There were issues with, like, the technology where the compartments, like, magnetically mm. sealed, like, trapping people and all of this. I mean, it was a whole... There's all kinds of things just about the Titanic seeking in general um, that are a little off. Yeah, but yeah. why would he actively do this uh, and cause the ruin of his own company and something that he would cause him to lose a lot of money. Does this mean that he absolutely had nothing to do with it? Or was it maybe like the perfect alibi? I think more likely the the first one, but uh, it's fun to think about. And like you were saying, Matt, with these seeds of truth and these grains, mm-hmm. this is one of those. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some... Um, it, it points to this idea of incredibly rich and powerful people going to any length that They need to To get their way And this would Again If proven to be true Would be A pretty elaborate Rube Goldberg-esque Example of that Um,
4: You're making the evidence Fit your narrative When you do this kind of thing It's
3: just so It's so weird Because there were What? More than 2,200 people On the Titanic And then if they're just just Sinking the ship To kill three people Then what is that? The cost of doing business?
0: Yeah, it's called Collateral damage, my man
3: Okay, so the same way That a bank makes Several billion dollars And they're like Oh, we gotta find $200 $200 million Uh, sheesh.
0: Because given what we know about these, uh, how these like shadowy banking bros are able to rake in the profits Mm -hmm. off of the backs of American taxpayers, Mm -hmm. maybe the loss of a little shipping company might be worth the exchange uh, of utter control and dominance and and lifelong profits that no one can ever vote you out of making. So, who knows? Maybe it is just the cost of doing business. Two questions. questions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... um,
3: Doesn't it sound a little overcomplicated? Like, couldn't they just poison someone or have, like, a a horse accident or something?
0: Well, it's like I said. I mean, these are the three that are named. But, I mean, that you know, maybe they just wanted to, like, bump off, like, all of these these fat cats. It's not about the money. It's about sending a message. That's probably true. I don't know. No, this is definitely most likely completely uh, bunk. But it's a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah, it's fun to think about. Yeah, I agree.
3: And, and when, when you, were, you were doing this research, you, you found some unanswered questions, like, about these three guys' stances, too, right? Like, yeah, I
0: mean, there was nothing, like, really out there that was them just, like, totally soapboxing about how they hated the Fed. There were just some things about, like, their business practices and their politics that were slightly anti-Fed leaning. But it was a little unclear as to why these three guys in particular would have been the most problematic. But, but they did actually die on the boat. They did, in fact, die on the boat. It's true. It's
4: true let's move on to the next one, boys. Let's do it. Is it you? here? Yeah, I'm going to talk to you about this. Remember we mentioned that five-sided building called the Pentagon? Well, guess what? Here's a conspiracy theory (laughs) that perhaps the Federal Reserve exists in some way as an extension of the United States military. Ooh, okay. All right. Now this is a little a doodle, but let's get into it. There's some com- compelling evidence that in several cases, this country has fought wars specifically to preserve the ascendancy of the U.S. dollar. A lot of times we refer to it as um, the petrodollar because it's, it, it's, it's tied to oil in a lot of ways. We've gone over that before in an episode. Check it out if you, uh, you want to learn more about that. But in this case, we're talking about evidence that's been provided by a gentleman, an author named John Perkins.
3: Yeah, yeah, right. You're talking about uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Uh, it's, uh, I would describe it as a book. You know, like okay. it's, it's, it, he wrote it, it's there. But uh, he, he makes some interesting observations. For years and years and years, Perkins worked in the uh, quasi-government, quasi-private uh, sector as ostensibly an economist. But, according to his recount of the events, his real job was to travel to developing countries and to broker huge loans for infrastructure repairs and to, uh, to beguile the people and uh, lie to them essentially about, about how effective or not effective this infrastructure would be and about how affordable or not affordable it would be. So uh, just imagine you're in a place where the lights don't always work. You sometimes get the bad water, right, with the Hoboco thing earlier, and then someone says, hey, not only can we give you clean water all the time, not only can we give you power all the time, but it will be a steal, it will be so great for your country, you will make so much money, and there's just like one small detail, we only accept payments in U.S. dollars,
5: Yeah, and just by the way. <laughs> yeah
3: right? Like, you, you might have your own currency. That's very endearing, good hustle. Uh, but we are a dollar business. And through the power of this economic influence, the argument goes, or his story goes, they brought other countries to heel and forced them into deals with multinational U.S.-based conglomerates. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And
4: the whole point is that they're loaning you an ungodly amount of money that you will never pay back. It sounds familiar, right? A lot of money that you'll never pay back. Maybe 30 years. Maybe, if you're lucky. Mortgage? Um, Oh, boy. But yeah, anyway, if you're a giant company, you're getting, you know, perhaps billions of dollars in in these U.S. dollars that you don't have, that you're supposed to pay back somehow. And ultimately, you just end up doing the bidding of whatever this lender wants you to do, at least within this, uh, the realm of this conspiracy theory.
3: So it's actually not that implausible if you think about it. We don't have to agree with Perkins' like, 40,000 foot view, as they say in corporate America. We don't have to agree with his big picture. The very disturbing thing about this is that several of the cases he recounts are true. They're absolutely yeah. true. Indonesia is a, uh, a fantastic slash frightening example. Read the book if you want, read the Wikipedia, I'm not going to bully you about it. Just let us know what you think and think about how the actions of the Fed and the actions of the U.S. dollar affect countries abroad. Uh, The world is an increasingly smaller place, but (laughs) speaking of fantastic segues, it turns out that we are headed toward the most wonderful time of the year.
4: Yeah, we only have a few days, right? Yes. It's the 28th right now? Oh my gosh.
0: What's your costume going to be?
4: I'm Buzz. Uh, My wife is going to be Jessie, and my three-year-old son is going to be Woody. Oh, man. Yes, we're adorable. (laughs) That is the cutest. (laughs)
3: That's right. For us, the most wonderful time of the year is Halloween. So we wanted to save our last crazy notion, the craziest one we heard, for the very end, and it's this. Okay, go with me here. Pretend we're, we're all at the same bar and it's like 2 a.m., right? Okay, so, uh, so what if, what if, what if, what if the Federal Reserve, instead of a financial institution, is an occult institution? Oh, shit. Like, people really believe this. We didn't make this up. Uh, the idea is that what if every single dollar spent traded from one party to another is actually a spell? I'm not going to just poop on it, man. I'm not going uh, right. to... So,
4: I want to cast a spell.
3: <laughs> so, so for some French researchers... This means that the Fed is way more Slytherin than systemic. It's way more like warlocky than White House, you know? And if the dollar is, ca- is a spell cast by some strange cabal, then the following ex- assumptions have to
0: exist. Well, it's like this idea of exchanging energy or, or somehow yeah. hoarding energy through the exchange of currency, which again has this imaginary value and the uh, one of the proponents of this theory talks about how it's all about like a dollar represents energy because when you are spending it you are paying for a Service or something that would require time to do or actual physical mm-hmm. energy. So somehow this system, they can harness this and kind of hoard it somewhere mm-hmm. and use it for some purpose. But here, here are the assumptions that, yeah, that are yeah. required. What, here. What's the first one? One is that magic, uh, at least this type of magic, is real. That's cool. We've got and that. And reproducible. Reproducible, right. Two Yeah, we've got uh, this idea real. that a secret group of people not only exists but cooperates. And we've talked about how hard cooperation can be. Right, um, right. But to work this magic and accrue this energy. From billions of other people, um, and that some portion of this um, can actually be stored and used in some nefarious way.
4: You mean like stored up in giant bank vaults in places (laughs) where you could store all your energy? Hmm? Or maybe in the stock market? Or in
3: the Illuminatus trilogy, uh, that kind of energy is stored in the Pentagon from Traffic Deaths. Exactly. Different book, right? And a work of fiction as far as we know. But it's it's a tall order. This is spooky stuff, right? Uh, To people who believe that the Fed is actively some kind of evil Harry Potter Voldemorting its way through the uh, international financial system, uh, the symbols on the dollar represent something else entirely, something that the Bureau of Engraving does not mention. In this idea that all-seeing eye on the floating capstone is not the eye of providence, instead it is the eye of
4: Satan... Sorry, I, I watched you. I'm so sorry.
3: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the eye of Lucifer Morningstar, and the light represents a different sort of illumination.
4: Yeah, exactly. Uh, in this case, it's, um, it's Lucifer's light. Right. The illuminated one. Mm-hmm. Just like that Illumination Global Unlimited. That, uh, which by the way, thanks you, uh, for all for joining us tonight. Um, mm-hmm. there, is, there is kind of a little ritual we have to do as we exit for them. Uh, well, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, um, fun, you'll it'll, notice, you'll it'll
3: notice.
6: be
4: fun. Yeah, okay,
3: but but this also, this light, res- this light is meant to symbolize in this idea, uh, the light of the illuminated ones, those who are aware of this. Mechanism, but the light has a double meaning in this idea, and it's the idea that you and us and and your cousin that you probably should call, check in on them after the show, that we are ourselves uh, transparent to this gaze and incapable of holding secrets. And then there's this whole other thing with the eagle,
4: right? Well, well. first of all, let, before we get to the eagle Just that whole idea that uh, We can't hide anything from This organization or mm-hmm. the most Powerful people mm-hmm. Can we just, one more time, we talk about it all the time we're all walking around with a Siri in our pockets. We get home. There's a Google <laughs> Home hanging out there and Alexa just chilling, going, what's that you said? Oh, just keep talking. It's fine. Just keep talking. I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening. Or, you know, we've got a camera that I've got covered up, by the way. Ben has covered up. Noel, is yours covered up? Nah, man. I don't care. You're going-
0: <laughs> 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 They can have my precious data. <laughs> as long as I can play Pokemon Go, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> Here we I'm are.
4: just saying we don't need we don't need this to be an all-seeing eye. In actuality, we're already doing it to ourselves, bros. <laughs> okay,
5: all right.
3: <laughs> are you good? Are you, I'm fine. Let's just do keep, going. Keep, let's keep going. You good? Okay. Keep going. Do you want a commercial break or?
0: Uh, no, it's way past. We're two way. We're yeah, two yeah. way. We're So, let's, let's so get, let's get, let's get the back.
3: eagle then in this idea, this occult idea, is not the bald eagle. Uh, what do we call him, Gregory? This yeah, time Gregory. It's not, it's not your pal Greg. Instead, it's an. It's taken from ancient pagan symbolism, and people who believe this will say, "Well, uh, well, you know, Noel, you know, Matt, that uh, that eagle was also used to signify the Roman Empire, and again, it was used as an icon." for a certain German regime during World War II.
0: Is this Benjamin Franklin talking? This is. This yeah. is a historically <laughs>
3: accurate Benjamin Franklin somehow aware of the 1940s.
4: I told you guys, the hits. The Nazis made an appearance. There you of go. Of
3: course, all the hits. Uh, and the Nazis were weird.
4: Yeah. they the, just show up in everything. Dude, the Fool Society was a real thing, and there was some occult stuff going on there. It Look it up. A Look silly it up, and ridiculous thing.
3: But this, this also leads to... Uh, differing more esoteric mentions of numbers Mm because a lot of these people believe in numerology as well. So it it doesn't matter what you care about, uh, just aesthetically, there's a, there's a shit ton of groupings of 13 on the dollar.
0: Like, they went all in. Uh, what, are, what are some examples? Yeah, we've got the 13 stars, 13 stripes in the flag, 13 arrows that Greg is, is clutching in his little little mm-hmm. uh, eagle talons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got 13 leaves and berries in the olive branch, 13 letters in the phrase. Um, g- give it to me, Ben. I always mispronounce Anu-e-Kleptis. this. Anoet Queptus. Thank you, Ben. Uh, and then we have, we have also 13 layers in that uh, creepy pyramid. Yeah. What else did we have 13 of when we founded
4: this country? Colonies. So it totally makes sense. It's fine. It's just 13 colonies, right? Yeah, but yeah. If, we're,
0: if we're really like going down this numerological rabbit hole, maybe the founding fathers were like, it's got to be 13. Yeah. We've got to have 13 because that's how we're going to make the spell work. You yeah, and someone was mm. like, why are you
3: freaking out? We've got nine. That's solid. No, and they were man. like, no, not, man. Not, not not We've enough. got a thing we're going to do later. But, But to be absolutely clear... On well, the off chance that someone is frightened about this. Uh, the, there, none of this stuff has been proven. None of this stuff has been proven in a way that people accept. Or at least when we say that, we mean that no one has come to us and said, ah, shit, you guys figured it out. You got me. Was it We had a good run. Was it 13? Were there too many 13s? No, that was it. We were worried about the 13s. But my God, you guys. Ah, so no one, no one has proven this. But it is true that the Federal Reserve was conceived and founded as the result of a genuine conspiracy. Not a conspiracy theory. These people conspired to create this thing and then they covered it up effectively for years. And even today, many of its operations are conducted in secret. So it's no wonder that the story here inevitably ends on some vital questions. Does the Fed... Prevent das- disasters, or does it create them? You know, and if it does create them, does it do so through honest mistakes, through incompetence, or through design?
4: <sighs> That's it. I don't know. I mean, Matt, do you, it's did- crazy. <laughs> we can't do anything about this. Seriously, none of us sitting in this room could do anything about this. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> it's a fun show,
0: you guys. This yeah. is we're having I' sorry I'm
4: sorry. Really, it just frustrates me to all hell. Okay. Well, it,
3: it is true, Matt. I mean, either way, there's some dis- we don't need magic to be real to know that there are problematic things here. Uh, there is a disturbing truth at the heart of these conspiracies. There's a bit of historical fact hidden in that fiduciary fiction, and the next time you pull out a dollar think about it. Ask yourself what it may or may not represent and how it impacts the world in which we live. As a matter of fact, the next time you walk by a strange bit of odd graffiti scrawled in Sharpie or chalk or spray paint along a busy street, ask yourself whether it's a work of art, a hidden message. If so, who is it meant for? What does it say? Is it something they don't want you to know? Okay, all right, Matt, so that's mostly the show, right? Yeah, it was
4: pretty good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that, both I, being on it and listening to it. <laughs> good job, Ben. Good, good job, job, Noel. Matt. Good job, Noel. Good job, everybody.
3: Also, we were probably doing a better job in that episode because Paul Mission Control Deccant was at the show.
4: Uh, and that's the whole reason. He just gave all the vibes. And it was the fifth iteration, the fifth time we had done <laughs> it. So we had uh, ironed it out a little bit.
3: Oh, but there's one other thing. Yeah. That we Maybe we should have mentioned this at the top. Uh, we like to do sort of a Q&A thing at the end of a show, and we had a Q&A that took place not in Atlanta, but earlier in Philadelphia. And we really enjoyed uh, this Q A. at least... We enjoyed doing it at the time. I haven't listened back yet.
4: <laughs> oh, it's great! Oh, good. <laughs> Just so many good questions and passionate people. Um, probably it was my favorite QA as well. So we're gonna listen to it now. Hey, how's Trevor. it going? Hey, guys. Hey, man. Hey. Uh, Trevor. Hey, hey Trevor. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going well. Yeah. Um, going back to the beginning of the podcast, you guys were talking about. The hobo symbols. Yes. yes. So if stuff they don't want you to know had a hobo symbol, <laughs> and you guys were going to post one on the outside of World Cafe Live after we leave here Ooh. with that spray paint I didn't bring, Oh, right. what would it look like? Uh, I can tell you what it would be.
3: Yeah, we cannot officially tell
4: you. It would be the first. Unofficially, of course. We
3: cannot officially tell you that it would definitely be.
4: The first uh, three alphanumeric letters from our uh, phone number why what? STD. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot just kidding, just you know, kidding. we cannot
3: officially tell no, you that, that it that that it would be something involving an eye and a triangle again we cannot no. officially tell you that
4: it would be something <laughs> involving a triangle
5: all
0: right
4: Circles and stuff. I got it. I got it. Or maybe, maybe uh, Trevor, maybe it would be. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. That's a yeah. thing. We Okay. You know, like, yeah, that's yeah. how the
6: cops no, get called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: redo, redo. We cannot officially tell you it would be a six-fingered hand.
5: Thanks for coming, Trevor. Yeah. Thanks, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, hi. My name is
0: Chris. Uh, hey, Chris. i listener. Hey. Uh, I was just wondering if, like, with this uh, theme of, like, Federal Reserve, you know, like, control, like, if this, like, have you ever, like, thought about, like, student loans as a oh, way of, like, controlling the I population? I think about it every day.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Student loans just like, mortgages. Just like a
0: medical
6: condition, like, where
0: it's, like, a form of control,
6: but right. like, here's how you do.
3: Yeah. yeah. I'm working on it. That is. Because I've got, uh, I, I've got, I've got one long-term relationship in my life. Uh, it's my main girlfriend, Sally Mae. You still and, are,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mine got sold. Mine's not even Sally anymore. I don't yeah. even know what it's called. Oh, oh yeah, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's the one. Naviant. Yeah, oh. it's Naviant. Yeah, yeah. But that's
3: that's. I mean, that's an important question, and it is. It's strange because. It will occasionally get reported, but it's crippling the growth of future generations. Yeah. You know, have you ever had somebody who's older in your family, maybe a little stodgy, and they're like, well, when I, was, when I was 28, I had, you know, like, I had my job at the paint store, and I sold my first house and made it a rental, and then I bought a car, and I just, you know, pooped everywhere. Then, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's a lot I don't know. of poop. Yeah, food, uh, but, but it's, it's true if you, there you, go, yeah, right? That's there you go. but if it's interesting that you asked this tonight, because uh, I, I looked into it and for that situation in post-World War II and the, the boom of the economy to exist for someone making minimum wage to buy a house, have 2.5 kids, all that other uh, census bullshit, the minimum wage would have to be slightly over $45 an hour. That's how like inflation has right worked out right now.
4: Yeah. Um I don't make that. Does anybody make that out here? They're not gonna Ed? say Oh, oh okay. No, right. Right. Well, of course you do. Of course much. you do, Henry. <laughs> yeah.
5: Our boy Henry. Oh, that's what they watch. bill me for? They don't pay me that. That's all true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. exactly.
3: <laughs> but yeah, that's actually that's that's something that we've been putting a lot of digging into and we're we're hoping to do an episode on that pretty soon. So, uh thank you for asking this question. Um as far as the implications of it, I would say yes. It is it is not a conspiracy theory. It is a conspiracy. People are conspiring to to privatize Education, Like at the same time that student loans boomed, and I'll get off my soapbox in a second. I hope you don't regret asking this. But at at the same time that student loans began booming as an increasingly privatized industry, there also occurred this uh, change in the zeitgeist wherein you were told, we were all told, that the only way you can have a life worth living in this country is if you can sign yourself to college, Uh if you can sign yourself to grad school, if you don't. Go to trade school if you like. We we were taught to look down on people yeah. for that reason, and that's yeah, and that's that's insidious. It sounds it's, like propaganda. It's, it's going to affect us. It's straight up Edward Bernays, obviously. Yep.
4: Thank you. Dude, Sorry. Nice. Is, Dude. Hi,
5: I'm Lindsay. I'm
6: here with Chris. Lindsay. Hey. <laughs> I've been listening for a couple of years. How do you guys stay
5: optimistic?
6: You dive into a <laughs> lot of different things, and some of the things they bore on ridiculous or esoteric but tonight you talked about a lot of things that affect us as citizens or just people. Mm-hmm. So how do you
4: keep the optimism with the show? And do how we do seem you guys optimistic? Keep... Is it true? <laughs> do, we? do we really?
5: You have beer in front of I crime.
4: think you're you misreading the vibe.
0: Yeah. No, I don't hey, know. It's, do hard. it's hard. It's uh, hard. I mean, I have a. We, I, me and Matt have kids, and that makes it extra hard because it's all filtered through this notion of like, what's it going to be like for my nine-year-old? And I'm constantly living in in fear and dread. But. Yeah, you know, uh, one day at a time. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I just, I just, I just have faith that my kid is smarter than me and is going to be like pluckier than me and just figure that shit out and just like navigate whatever life throws at, at her. Um, and I, that's, that's my optimism there. So I honestly
4: have to say that it requires cognitive dissonance to continue. I'm being completely honest to know the things that we all in this room know and continue on as though everything is okay. we, just can't have, we kind of have to not look at it. And I think that's the way it's been for a long time for a lot of humans.
0: Yeah, but it's literally our job to look at it. So yeah.
4: But we in particular, yes. <laughs> um,
0: but
3: that, is that not a head in the sand? For me, it's video idea.
4: games, alcohol, uh, and nicotine. So, uh, <laughs> yeehaw. <laughs> uh,
3: I have about three feelings a year. Optimism is not one. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you so much for passing around. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah.
4: thank you. This is the this way is to fun. Do it. it's fun. Yeah. C- it's connecting us all. Hey, guys. Hey, man. I'm in uh, the construction industry, so to the student loan thing, we're now seeing a dip in available labor. Really? Because, because of that idea. But uh, going back to the beginning, there's a great um, documentary about the Toy and B tiles called Resurrect Dead. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You can find online. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty good. We still have
0: everything from that. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. yeah. How about hey, nice. hey, It's really a great did. film. It's a really good film. A um, big we... fan of Ridiculous History.
4: Oh! oh. Shit.
0: Wait, show everybody. Got the show, t-shirt. show everybody. Yeah.
4: Whoa. Whoa. Show, show, show. Somebody bought
3: one. Holy thanks, strong. guys. Oh, man, thanks so much, Jen. <laughs> wow. You know they didn't give us free T-shirts. Can you believe that we had no. to buy our own? Because they print them on demand.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, sir. Hello. Hey. Oh,
4: there's, oh, a, there's switch. a button. Uh, oh, there, it's a switch on the bottom. Hello. There oh, you, got there. You, you got it. it. Hi. You nailed it. You got it. Hello. Um, my name's Kelsey. Um, hey, Kelsey. I have a question in regards to um, our conversation earlier about the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. So the errors that it makes, do you think there's any possibility that good algorithms could offer a level of accountability for what they do? You, you want to bring AI into this? <laughs>
0: It's It's slippery slope, my friends.
3: It's already there. It's really. It's that's a that's a wonderful question because really is a good question. um, Regardless of how someone feels ethically about the concept of machine consciousness, which is not really where we're at now, uh, machine consciousness would be everybody thinking to some degree the way that we do, Uh, but what we have now when we say artificial intelligence is we have things that are very good at solving specific problems. So like we can make the mind of something that could go through a maze, or compare columns of data and answer questions in those parameters. We don't have anything that can do something like ask
4: why. Right? Are you a data scientist? Right. Yeah. I'm, oh, sorry. Um, I'm a science, technology, and society major.
3: Okay. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So so, yeah, so, so the question. So to your question directly, uh, the the truth is that this sort of technology is inevitable, and in certain spheres, it's much further along than some people might imagine. Uh, in the stock market, in the trading industry, a lot of Uh, a lot of very quick calculations are made, but they're not made for a greater good. They're made for a profit margin for a specific group or in some cases, an individual.
0: Well, and there has to be a philosophy behind how you use the algorithms too. And that's sort of what the Fed does in some ways. It's like, what is the economic philosophy that we're chasing? And so how do we put these algorithms to work to that end.
3: But it's it's kind of like the trolley problem with autonomous vehicles, right? So there's a study that came out recently about autonomous self-driving vehicles. The big question is if they have to hit someone, how do they decide who to hit, right? Is it a is it do they do they hit like a average person walking on the street?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or do they hit Hit the elderly?
3: Right. Or do they hit, do they hit a child? Well, it's (laughs) funny you mention that because I think, I think whoever said that, uh, realized that there was a massive poll done recently and our species agreed overwhelmingly hit the elderly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Which is really
3: cool for us right now, but keep in mind, we're going to be old when that stuff's everywhere. So, so that same question applies to the federal reserve. Um, who pro- like who profits from a certain area of stability, right? If, if we can do if, if we have an algorithm that tells us uh, an uptick in interest here is very good for this specific part of the economy or this specific demographic they're in, but very bad for another demographic, then who who programs it to value that question? because again, we're a long way off from building an artificial mind that can ask why it's solving a problem. And so if that, if we have something steering the Federal Reserve before it can ask why it's doing something, then we are setting ourselves up for a very very interesting times, I believe, is the euphemism.
4: I would say the pattern recognition of machine learning could definitely have some help there to try and predict when financial institutions may be weak or be ready to crash or then you know, how much should the interest rate go up or how little. And you actually have just a machine that's doing that and looking at the patterns and not actually making decisions but giving you feedback. I think that's a really good thing.
3: Also, any uh, any AI algorithm run on uh, the student loan problem would come to the same conclusions that we came to tonight. I'm just saying. That is true. No. Anybody else? Anybody else?
4: I see a hand over here. Cool. Oh, I see one over I here, too. Over here. You, we got, we, you let's up. do We've got one question here first, and then you are next, sir. If yeah. you want to hang out. Uh, Big fan. Um, oh, thanks, man. Didn't finish college, so no loans. What?
6: Uh, <laughs> um, but so I love everything conspiracy, everything from aliens. Do they exist? What are they really doing on Plum Island? Blah blah. blah. Oh. Um, but okay. this one is the real one. If I think you know, it affects us in our everyday life, and so I've I dove pretty deep on this. And there's all these theories about. And I don't know if you guys came across this in your research, but. Um, there were three presidents who made a really, really hard push mm-hmm. to get off the Federal Reserve, Andrew Jackson, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln. John Jack F. Kennedy. Kennedy. and they order. all have something in common.
3: like executive order eleven eleven zero, I believe. yeah,
6: that's yeah. right, right. And we're actually our sitting president has made some pretty, Forward comments about getting off the reserve. He and make just forward comments. And that guy's just- <laughs> all
0: class. <laughs> he has the decorum of a saint. But it just—it oh, just, Jesus, it Jesus it just
6: kind of um, so, yeah. It makes you scratch your head a little bit, and it makes right. you curious. You know, like maybe there would be a pattern forming if three isn't enough
4: of a pattern.
6: Oh, we you know, gotta like, get up, have up have to have thirteen. You, well, well, yeah, yeah <laughs> thirteen, right? I, I would over, say yeah. that
4: some of that executive order stuff and the theories, depending on where you're reading it. It isn't really based on the stuff that it says it's based on. There, it has more to do with, uh, what was it? The, the whole silver standard thing right, is right. a little more murky than what a lot of these websites claim it to be. Yeah. Um, specifically with Kennedy.
3: Well, also Kennedy had very few friends uh, in, in the halls of power. It's kind of a situation where it's like, well, if he wasn't shot for one thing, here are the other other reasons, other multitudes of reasons that people decided it would be cool if he had a hole in his head, um, which I know is
7: graphic, yeah, but that's man. what
3: happened. That's what happened. That's harsh. That's what happened. But the, um, but to your question, what's really interesting is Abraham Lincoln actually was, especially during the Civil War, very opposed to the interest rate that the nation was getting saddled with through banking. And it's kind of weird when we read, when it, it's kind of weird what parts of historical anecdotes are specified and what parts, what characters are left blank or vague. Cause it's always like Lincoln was pissed that the U S was going to be broke. Hamilton was pissed that the U S owed money to whom, you know, those people are not often named in specific or in particular. And I'm going to keep this thought you sent in my head. Uh, if, if, if if something happens, and then I think we have a lot of digging to do. But uh, obviously, I don't. I don't personally want just anyone in the world to get shot. Although statistically, many people did while we were recording this show. <laughs> Too dark. Sorry, guys. Yeah, there are a lot of the guns. Oh, they, they have to hang out with me all the time.
4: Here yeah I
5: need another one of these.
4: Yeah, let's
0: let's let's, let's take one more question and then we'll go yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do one, we'll more, one more.
3: question. One more question. How are we yes, doing, guys? Hey. Hey.
5: Hey, what's up, man? So first time, first time. So Yes. This was pretty awesome. This was a birthday gift from uh my friend Aaron. Oh, happy here. birthday. Hey. Thanks, Aaron. Well, and, it's my birthday, so oh. I Okay, happy birthday. Yeah, that's what I'm
3: saying. Let's yeah. give it Hey, what's your what's your name? Mike. Can okay, on the count of three, can everybody say happy birthday, Mike? Okay. Well, it's one. Baby.
5: Two. wait, 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 wait. Ah. It's my wife's birthday the same day, too, and her name's Kim, so... Whoa. You, Kim, so
3: Kim. on the count of three, happy birthday, Mike, Mike. and Kim. Okay. Yes, right. sir. One, two, three. Happy,
5: happy birthday, Mike, Mike and Kim! Kim. That okay. was... I, we didn't ask you to howl. That's good, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very Mike, much.
4: Mike, that was recorded, by
5: the way. We recorded that. It's probably yeah. going to come I, out. Yeah. Trust me, it's being recorded by... Girl that bought the tickets. Hey, Somebody tackle her. All right. So,
3: what, what what's up? What's here, up, birthday man? So
5: here's my question, and I have like seven hundred thousand questions after like being introduced to the world. That are you guys? But no boy. All right. Here, it's gonna be a softball or it's gonna be a curveball. So let's see. Let's go. We we started about Twine Tiles. We started about uh, Hobo Code. How difficult is it to? Articulate the difference between hobo code and HodaCobe? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. It's a That's bullshit great. question. So thanks, guys. So, oh thanks, my man. gosh! He you just wanted a birthday wish. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. no, 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 Seriously, the whole time you were talking, I thought it was HodaCobe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on that. One more. Let's
3: see. One more yeah. uh, is there? Is it a burning question? It's John. Oh, it's John. What's up, John? It's John without an H.
6: John without an H. Thank you. Okay, so about two days ago, three days ago, somebody won $1.5 billion, right? Yeah. Yeah. Personally, yeah, I wish it was me, but Mm -hmm. I think I could do more more good Mm -hmm. with more money than more power. Do you guys think that you could do more good with $1.5 billion in in dollars? Or do you guys think you could do more good running a country, running a city? Oh, you're That's going to get three very different money answers. More
4: or more power? Well, I'll just start off and then you guys build really fast. I, I think the money is the power in this instance because we've said this before. Ben has uh, this phrase. Um, What is one of the biggest superpowers? The actual, real superpower you can have? Oh yeah, money. Money, like it's one of the real superpowers that exists because cut. Yeah, Mm. go ahead, go ahead. Can I? Yeah, all right. This is such a
3: nice step. All right, so I, I feel this is one of my three feelings, John. Uh, It's that Batman is often built. I'm gonna gonna get to. I'll make it quick. I know we have to pee and stuff, but. uh, (laughs) Batman is often billed as this amazing superhero because he's the world's greatest detective and because he doesn't have superpowers, he has ingenuity. That is, utter, that is an utter line of horseshit because Bruce Wayne is a billionaire. He didn't build the suit himself. He didn't build the Batmobile. Instead, he paid someone to do it, which means that if you look at the way it functions, the use of money is just value over time, so he's functioning as a time traveler. He's doing things through the use of money that would have taken decades, decades and decades to do. So money may not equate one-on-one with power in all situations. However, money does equate to taking the hours of someone else's labor, which I'm not, I'm not going in a socialist direction with this. That's just, the way, that's just the way it is. If somebody is paid $5 an hour or $45 an hour, then that is just the price of an hour. Do you know what I mean? So now, I agree a billionaire. with you on
6: yeah. 95% of the things yeah. you guys say. I will say, yeah. you guys do say that money corrupts. Yes, right? true. Yes. So true. if you guys were $1.5 billion rich, would that not corrupt you? Of course, uh, the yeah. lottery
3: is terrible yeah. when, for people <laughs> when they win Don't it. Don't
4: win the lottery ever. Like, it would be the worst just... day of your life. I think it would corrupt me.
6: To be honest, I
3: don't know. You seem like a pretty cool dude. I try.
4: But here, here's here's my reasoning behind this and why I wanted to reference that. Because if you're the leader of a country, there are so many constraints on you on what you can and can't do because there's so many interests that you have to look out for, and that's everything. That's economic. That's the people who live in your country. That's medical. I mean, it's just it's literally all the things, right, that you have to deal with. If you just independently get several billion dollars, one point five billion dollars. You can use that however you want. Really, you can. And then become the president?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, Trevor, jump was in a this few more
4: all hoax. a setup Trevor for that line? Well, that I'm
5: going really
3: to end on one thing, John. I, I think your question, uh, I think I, the more I think about it, I would, I, would go for, I would go for power. Because if money is an idea, then a good idea can be money. So I would go... I would go for a movement or an idea, not to start a cult. I don't know. What about you, Noel? You want the last word?
0: I'll start a cult. All right, let's start a cult. Hey, you guys, thank you you so much. You want want to be a
3: cult? Thank you so much.
4: And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is one 833 stdwytk If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all the hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx.
2: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives.